This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Here's an idea, and I want to run it past you and see what you think of it. We're not going to get to do it. Certainly not this year. But um, yesterday in Chicago, do you enjoy the Chicago? I love going to Chicago. Um, it's the Sunshine State. It's fantastic. Um, Lori Lightfoot lost her bid for re-election. She was probably one of the most like well-known mayors. I always, I don't know what it is. I always know who the New York, Chicago, and LA mayors are. Um, I could, I can rhyme them off. They just always seem prominently on national newscasts, and they're prominent uh, online. So Lori Lightfoot. First black woman, first um, openly gay person, she's lesbian, to serve as uh, Chicago's mayor. And she's a Democrat. And she uh, lost to two challengers, both Democrats. <laughs> it's like she got crushed yesterday in um, in basically uh, a re-election vote. She got 16% of people that said, we like what you're doing, which means 84% do not. Um, so it's a crowded first round of the election, but she didn't qualify like poll position. Remember that? And uh, she couldn't get to the second round. Now, the second round will feature a runoff between two candidates. I like that idea. I really like that idea. We won't do that here. But on April 4th, give you enough time. They give you a month. I don't know the name, so they don't mean anything to me. Paul Vallis, a former superintendent of Chicago schools, will face off against Brandon Johnson a Cook County commissioner. Um, I don't know anything about them except Vallis is white. He's the only white candidate in the race. Why are you saying that? Why does that matter? Well, because every first sentence about Lori Lightfoot is first black woman and openly gay person to ever be mayor of Chicago. So I guess in Chicago, these are the things you mention. It's like uh, it's like on a baseball card or something or a hockey card. Um, anyway, I love the idea of it. I think we, we're going to have a really crowded field here. And here's the only thing I worry about with the mayor of Toronto. It's the only thing I worry about. Now, it was bound to happen last time that the uh, mayor was going to be reelected. That's John Tory, in case you've forgotten over the last two and a half weeks. And John Tory was going to be reelected. Of course he was. He got 62% of the vote. Gil Panalosa finished second and got 17.85% of the vote. No one else even got six and a half. Chloe Brown finished third with 34,000 people voting for her. Um, and then nobody got over uh, 2%. I'm, I'm bringing this up because I think we could actually really crunch down on issues, really crunch down on the important things. I don't want to vote for a person because they have a nice smile or because of what they look like or because they're white, black, brown gay straight somewhere in the middle uh she her they them he him what i don't want to i just want to vote for policy and i'm gonna probably be like that the rest of my life why change now i think those things are important i think we should absolutely encourage everybody to have a seat at the table when it comes to politics politics should be inclusive not exclusive and for too long um it's been the other way but i love this idea and I don't know why more major cities don't embrace it. I want to kind of dig in. I don't think there's a there's a mayoral race in, in Canada that does this. So there's some things I look at in the United States and I think they've got it right. They've figured it out. There's some European countries that have figured it out as well. And they do runoffs, whether it's for president or prime minister. This is how you do it so that you can't have people saying, well, what? Josh Matlow's not my mayor. He only got 28 percent of the vote. Anna Bylaw, that doesn't work for me. She only got 31%. My goodness, you couldn't have a more overwhelming majority 
for Douglas Ford last spring in terms of seats, but people can turn it on the, on its side and say, wait a minute, he won 40% of a vote in which 43.5% of people turned out. That's about 16% of Ontarians taking the time, getting in the car, walking to the polling station, marking the X next to a progressive conservative candidate. So it leads to frustration because the people who elected Doug Ford think he's got an overwhelming majority. Way more people voted for him than everybody else. And they're right. And then you've got people saying, hey, only 16% of physical people that were eligible to vote took the time, which means like Lori Lightfoot last night, 84% did. Just an idea. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but little like first past the post, I think we can tweak and balance and change our elections. We don't have to do every election uh, the way we did them in uh, in the 1850s when there were like chuck wagons and things like that. Maybe some people in Chicago took a chuck wagon to the voting last night. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'm very happy to have our next guest on. Uh, she is the current liberal MPP for Scarborough Guildwood and considering a run for mayor of Toronto. And she's kind enough to take some time before seven o'clock, no less to join us. Mitzi Hunter on Toronto today. It's great. Is, I don't know. Is this really early for you or not? Um, no, it's about right. Greg. It's about it's right. To be here. <laughs> you know, I forgot. I, I was about to say you won two elections, but you also ran in the, in a by-election and had to turn around and run in, in the, in the regular 2014 election um, several months later. What do you, what do you remember about that process? You, you get elected and then all of a sudden you're right back on doorsteps and in town halls like nine months later. Yeah, it was really, really a, a fast turnaround. I said to my team, I said, if we want to keep doing the great things we're doing, we're going to have to get out there and earn our seats. So, so I've actually run and won four straight elections in Scarborough Guildwood. I am so grateful to the people of my community who elected me. They believe in me. And um, even some very rough elections that we had mm. as liberals, they, they kept me in my seat. So can't, couldn't be more grateful. I also forgot how tight it was in 2018. Did you wake up that morning thinking, um, you know, I, I, I said this before, I've used this phrase before. I, I think the, the train kind of comes for, for all politicians, no matter how long the run has been. And, and the train sometimes comes for parties as well. It sure came for the, like, let's say the, the progressive conservative party of Canada in 1993, when Jean Chrétien overwhelmingly won a majority. When you wake up that morning in 2018, you ended up winning, by the way, by seven four votes how stressful a morning was that yeah it was uh it was really tough i i don't even think i slept that night because mm-hmm. we didn't hear until after midnight or close to midnight what the result was in scarborough guildwood and of course all of my supporters were still waiting with me for that final result because the race was so close um you know but getting up that morning you know my my one thought was okay there are seven of us that won and let's get the let's get together. And so I called a meeting, and uh, and we just started from there. Mitzi Hunter's our guest on Toronto today. Uh, it has to be flattering when people say you'd make a great mayor of Toronto. W- what are those conversations like, and and what's that done for? Um, I, I suppose your reflection on what the city means to you. Yeah, it's it's just been wonderful, and um, you know I have uh, I was just at an event, and a teacher came up to me. She said, "Oh, you have my support. I remember when you were education minister." A nurse comes up to me, gives me a hug, encourages me to jump in and to move forward with this, and and so I'm strongly considering it because 
I know that Toronto needs, we're in a time of change right now in our city, um, and we need that change. Um, and and it's, it's a city I love. I, you know, I, I grew up in this city. I live in this city right now. And, and you know, I want to see uh, a, a strong Toronto. It, it's needed to have a strong Toronto for a strong province and a strong country. So, so this is uh, this is a city that I love, and um, you know I want to make sure that uh, that everyone is included as we move forward. I think after the initial shock um, and the announcement from John Tory, I, th- I think there was the the idea that change is sometimes good in politics, and there's a lot of a lot of powerful feelings about where the city needs to go. I, I would say, and I want to know if you agree that we're we're at a real critical next couple of years with transit infrastructure. Um, police, the homeless, how we do like, it just feels like a lot of these issues have been accumulating and how we deal with them even in the next 24 months. It's just so critical. So the idea that there's going to be a new mayor as of this summer, uh, he or she will get to put their stamp on all those issues. Absolutely. You know, I'm very sensitive to the issue of affordability. And, you know, I, I spoke to a, a single mom, actually, uh, who was talking to me about that and, and just how unaffordable things are, you know, that she has the dream of, of having a house to raise her daughter. And uh, she doesn't know if she can realize that dream. And, and the reality is, is that the capacity of the city right now is very strained. And we saw that in the 2023 budget. You know, there's a there's a funding hole that's sitting right there of one point five billion dollars. So we've got some tough decisions some tough choices ahead has to involve other levels of government as well. And, uh, and of course, issues like affordable housing, more and better transit. These are things that we sure need. And, uh, and I know that Toronto needs a champion to, to move those things forward. When do you want to decide by? Well, I mean, the race is coming up fast. <laughs> <laughs> April 3rd is when it starts. And, uh, you know, that means that I got to talk to a lot of people um, and put a team together and, and make sure we do this right. Does does whoever else is in the race influence your decision? I'd make the case. I think there are people that are going to get in and run for Mayor Mitzi that wouldn't have done it and didn't do it against John Tory because they thought he's going to be hard to beat. It's a lot of it, it's a, it's asking a lot of the men and women that would help them out to do so. They'll they'll bide their time. They'll build maybe more support and they'll run in 2026. I think that changes now. I think we see a lot of names that didn't run against John Tory because they thought they might lose. So I'm asking, do, does who else is in the field influence your decision? Not, not really, Greg. You know, I, I think I'm the only potential candidate who is ready on day one to tackle uh, those big macro fiscal issues that confront our city. Um, you know, I've served as the Associate Minister of Finance. Um, I've worked with the provincial and federal levels of government who have to be part of the solution for Toronto. And, you know, people who know me, they know mm-hmm. that I know how to win. Obviously, we just talked about that yeah. before straight elections uh, in, in Scarborough. And, uh, you know, what the people of Scarborough are telling me is, you know, Mitzi, we love you. I love them. They know that. But take what you've done here and uh, and help the rest of the city. What's the fix? I'd ask, what's the fix? I know you're going to meet with uh, with the rest of, of Ontario's Liberals this weekend. Um, what's the fix? How how, um, how, do, how does the Liberal Party get itself back back on its feet? They clearly... You didn't get the seats that you hoped for in uh, in 2022 last June. W- what are some fixes for it? Yeah, and you 
know, I'm excited about the AGM this weekend. 1,500 people have registered and signed up to be at our, our AGM in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And this is a good sign because the fix is about the grassroots. And, you know, that's what I'm actually focused on. You know, I, I, I made that hard decision not to run for the leadership mm-hmm. because I want to be you know, in that mix on the on the floor of our AGM, really talking about how we shift, um, how we select our leader. We need to move to one member, one vote. This is the way to strengthen the grassroots of our party. You know, Greg, 1.1 million Ontarians did vote Liberal in the last election. It was more than the NDP. What, what wasn't there was that we didn't convert that into the enough seats. So we have to make a change. And that starts with how we select the leader of the party, moving from a delegated convention to one that empowers the grassroots. How did you feel about the gender equity um, in the party? And now here's what I'd say. I'd say we got to encourage more more women to run. Um, that said, I think it's harder and harder to find women to run. It's harder to, to say you're going to be dealing with this level of scrutiny. You're going to deal with this level of, of crap on social media. Um, I want I want I, I'd love in an ideal world, it's 50 percent, 50 percent, but it's harder to find. And I worry that when you've got eight seats and you need to get up to 60 or 70, you, you, you be strategic and you take your wins where you can. I, I Stephen Del Duca was very committed to that, but I looked at certain writings, Mitzi. I, I follow this stuff really closely and I looked and I thought, I don't know if that's the best candidate there. Um, how do you feel about that? Is it is it just about winning seats now? I mean, I'm, I'm a woman who ran in tough elections. I believe women can win. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are people like Amber Bowen in Ajax that came, you know, less than a thousand people. But right? I think she, she, she lost by about 800 so votes. So, so I think that the women uh, in our party are incredibly strong. And, and you know, we're 50 percent women in our, our small caucus of eight right now. But they're carrying a lot of weight. They're very strong. Um, Mary Margaret McMahon, former city councillor, Stephanie Bowman, uh, who comes, you know, having served on the board of the Bank of Canada. You know, these are, are just powerful women. And, and I believe in, in gender parity. We have 50 Point seven percent of 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 the population are women, so that should be expressed in in who who represents us. Absolutely, I, I believe there's space for women, and um, and they are more than welcome to sign up and to run for us uh, in the upcoming 2026 election. Yeah, women are now 39 percent of Ontario's legislature. It's a higher number than Canada's House of Commons. Um, yeah. But but I know, yeah, you, you want to get it closer to 50. I'm sure you do hear from women, but I'm sure you hear from women that say, well, I couldn't do what you do. I, I would I wouldn't want to put myself up to the public scrutiny. And you might look at them and say you'd be a brilliant, brilliant in politics at the municipal level, or the provincial level. But it's it's a lot to give up. You've given up a lot in your life to, to serve the public. Yeah, and, and we have to encourage um, more women to run. We have to model, um, you know, that as well for them so that they can see that they can have a family um, or professional, other professional aspirations while serving as, uh, as a member um, in an elected office. And, and we have to make this a, a, a normal space uh, where we see, see women as leaders. I say to young people all the time, if you can see me, you can be me. Mm-hmm. Because I, I want them to, to open up their imaginations and their minds and think, yeah, you know what? Yeah, well, I could be a young person, particularly my, my constituents growing up in Scarborough. And one day, you know, I can be the minister of education. I can be the premier of this province. I can be the prime minister or I can be the mayor.
Yeah, I think all those things are are, are so inspirational, and and yeah, you, you got to be seen for for younger people to go. That's that's me someday. That's absolutely uh, critical. Hey, in two weeks from now, come back and uh, and do you think in two weeks you've decided? Uh, Greg, I'm coming back in two weeks, whether I've decided or not. <laughs> I love chatting with you. It's- 6.45 a.m. in the morning. Okay, well, we can get you a better time. I mean, it's not... I, I'm trying to make it convenient so you can make breakfast and get on the move and get to Queens Park. Uh, but we didn't want you to have to do it in uh, in, in transit. We loved uh, having, having you on as well, and good luck with your decision. I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Mitzi Hunter joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 6.40 Toronto. Our next guest has put together an advisory committee to explore running for mayor. He's counsel for Ward 19 Beaches East York. He is Brad Bradford. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for making the time for us this morning. Love being here, Greg. First of all, um, Taste of the Danforth is back. You talked to us the morning after we realized we wouldn't have a 22 Taste of the Danforth. That must make you exhale. Um, I'm sure you got a lot of hard questions about it. Why is ev- it felt like everything else was back to accept that, but there were there were a ton of logistics issues. Why, uh, why we didn't have it last summer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're super excited. We haven't had taste for uh, for a number of years now, but it's one of the biggest marquee festivals uh, on the Toronto calendar. It brings together a million and a half people, lots of vendors supporting small businesses, a cultural celebration, uh, and a landmark for the community. So, you know, there were some hurdles to get through coming out of the pandemic, the reconfiguration of Danforth. All of these things needed to be worked through, but that's kind of the point. You know, when these problems are challenging, we roll up our sleeves, we get around a table, we figure it out. Taste is back in August, and it's going to be a hell of a time. I mentioned that um, Chicago runoff, but what I think I find interesting and and what I find unique about our politics, municipally speaking, is uh, I think it's more about ideas than ideology. Your advisory committee you announced yesterday kind of reflects that. Um, There isn't some sense that that everybody would agree on the same thing. In fact, it's probably healthy that a lot of people on your advisory committee wouldn't because then you can hear from all sides and have a more balanced approach. Well, that's right. We're a big, broad, diverse city, uh, a lot of different ideas, lived experiences and perspectives. And our advisory committee uh, is really intended to help filter some of that feedback and make sure that, you know, the blind spots that I may have, uh, we're accounting for those, we're reflecting those. And if we do decide to go forward with the mayoralty, we're standing up a campaign and a platform that really reflects the diversity here in the city. I know you had um, you had some emotion with uh, with all that happened um, w- with with obviously uh, John Tory. Um, he had he had obviously put a lot of faith in you with regard to housing, with regard to planning, with regard to building back up. Um, the dust is kind of settling. We'll be three weeks f- removed from that announcement on Friday. With your emotions, have you been able to just move this along and know that there's work to be done, that you have to be practical and and measured? And and uh, this is a critical next several months for the city of Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, folks are sort of calling me a pragmatic centrist. And and it's true. (laughs) City government, it's not about ideologies. You're exactly right, Greg. It's about the issues and good ideas can come from anywhere. And it's about moving those ideas forward. Yesterday, we were in the Planning and Housing Committee and uh, we're going full gas on housing because as Mm -hmm. I talk to hundreds of Torontonians from across the city, that is one of the top issues. If you want to come and live here in the city of Toronto, we want to make sure that you're able to do that. So the work continues. 
Uh, we can't take our foot off the gas. This election is obviously, uh, you know, going to be, frankly, a little bit disruptive for the next few months. But the work continues at City Hall. That's what Torontonians expect of us. And frankly, we don't have any time to waste. Brad Bradford's our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. I think most people would be shocked if you didn't run. Do you get why I would make that statement? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement, and uh, I'm not trying to waste anyone's time. We are very seriously considering this, of course. But I will say, look, uh, you know, to my mind, there's there's not a lot of more job, jobs out there that are more challenging than this one. It is a huge decision, and that's why I need to listen to people. I always joke I've got two ears and one mouth, and so I am out there actively engaging in deep listening uh, for all corners of this big city. I want to make sure that uh, we have a good understanding of what the issues and the priorities are. And it's a new chapter for Toronto. This is about generational change. It's a new way forward. And we need to make sure that we have leadership that is strong and decisive, not afraid to make decisions, not afraid to stay focused and keep keep responding to the things that are most important to people. That's public safety. That's housing. And that's getting around the city. I know the budget when it gets past two weeks ago, Brad, um, obviously the the concept was uh, Mayor Tory is going to come back, uh, you know, come into the building. That couldn't have been the easiest thing for him to do. um, And that was of his own creation. Of course, I would point that out. But that said, I'm sure there's something every councillor would would tweak slightly if they had the power on the budget that got passed. Is there anyone for you where you're like, I'm not sure about this or I'm going to I'm going to grit my teeth and, and, and see this through. But I'm not sure we're spending this amount of money the right way. Is there anything that, that you go? I'm not sure about this. And I tweak it. Well, you know what? Uh, I think that uh, the mayor had us moving in the right direction as a city. What I what I'm telling folks is I want to do more and I want to do it faster. And so at the risk of putting your listeners to sleep, uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to procurement, when it comes to how we set up our contracts. Uh, You know, it's different in the public sector than what you see in the private sector. And uh, frankly, we need to make sure that we're getting a good return on that investment. We need to make sure that we're accelerating timelines, getting the infrastructure built, taking care of the roads, getting the housing up. And uh, I think it's about doing more faster. We've definitely heard from people. uh, They will give us a pass. You know, everybody knows Eglinton construction is frustrating. Everybody knows the gardener is frustrating. You know, the rate at which we're rolling out affordable housing has just not been fast enough. But if people fail to see progress, you know, they they start to be less courteous with that path. So I want to restore confidence, demonstrate to Torontonians we can do things better. Uh, We all love this city, but we want to make sure that we're building a city that we can be proud of. I looked at some of the obviously the transit data from from yesterday, um, and and I guess the headline takeaway is well, it's not returning to pre-pandemic levels. Now, I, I think it's unfair to compare January or February of twenty two. My goodness, they they took our kids out of school for two weeks in January. Um, there was still a lot of hesitancy in the winter time, and I really don't think things normalized till I'd say April or May of last year. It's hard to it's hard to flash back and remember it all. But I'd ask, do you have confidence transit's going to improve in Toronto? And I ask this because I don't think driving will. I don't think it's going to be great to drive in this city for a couple years. There's some short-term pain for long-term gain, which you're referencing. So we can't go 0 for 2. We have to fix transit and get more people doing that commute Monday to Friday. Yeah, that's right. And frankly, people don't feel safe on transit right now. I was I was talking to a constituent and he has a 12 year old uh, son and 14 year old daughter. They take the subway to school every day and, and they've been doing that for years on their own. Mm-hmm. 
but right now they don't feel good about it. They're they're still riding transit, but when they get to school, they're they're sending dad a text message. And so uh, we need to restore confidence in in people's perceptions of public safety on transit. We need to improve service and all of the disruptions that are coming that come part of building the infrastructure that we need. We need to make sure that we've got a good plan to uh, to address the SRT shutdown in Scarborough. We need to make sure that, you know, we've got a good plan to address the 501 disruptions as a result of the Ontario line. So transit is the lifeblood of the city. You know, that we move millions of customers every day on the transit system, but there's a lot of work to, to do to restore that confidence, um, to make sure that we're providing reliable, safe options for Torontonians. Um, people are going to move in different ways, Greg. Some people mm. are always going to drive, uh, but transit has has to be a core foundational investment of what we're building and what we're doing going forward. I got about a minute here. Do you, if this is you, if it's Mayor Brad Bradford, your thoughts on on the strong mayor powers? I know 17 councillors said Mayor Tory shouldn't have them. Do you need these powers to get housing built? Do you look and say, it's not something I want to use all the time. It's not something that, that maybe I'd have even asked for, but they're here now. And like you said, we have to move. How do you view it? Well, it's interesting. There was there was such a big discussion about Bill 39 and the strong mayor powers back in December, and it seems like the world has moved so far forward since then. Um, but I, I would say it seems unlikely that, you know, you're going to need it. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. 25 free agents down there in the council chambers. Those are my colleagues. And local government works when we work together. Uh, mayor Tory was a great collaborative collaborator. Uh, he was always making the phone calls and checking in with people. I take that same approach mm-hmm. because I think we get more done when we work together. I've never made friends by sticking my finger in somebody's eye. And I would extend the same thing to relationships with the provincial and federal government. They are among our most important partners in terms of advancing the infrastructure, the housing, the transit, the critical services that Torontonians depend on. So it's always got to be about rolling up your sleeves, sitting around the table and trying to find a pathway forward together. That's what people expect of us. You know, the legislation permits strong mayor powers, but I think you will always want to see in Toronto a mayor who leads with collaboration first. Brad, thanks so much for the time. Uh, Good luck with the advisory committee. And I know once you make your decision, uh, we'll be chatting soon afterwards. Thanks so much for doing this for our listeners today. Let's do it again, Greg. Thanks. Brad Bradford joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like that theme, it's uh, in or out. We do it every morning around uh, 7.20, but uh, we probably need to give up more. I had like a two and a half hour nap yesterday, and I think I'm going to give up more time just to look for people using the words in or out in movies and TV shows, Gord. It's <laughs> good. It's bound it to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so well edited. See, that's the thing. When you do something really well in the workplace, people will ask you to do it more often. So you made a great edit there. <laughs> I'd prefer, Sheba knows this, I'd prefer to just sort of muddle through something. Right. If so you, no one asks you yeah, to do it again. <laughs> yeah, like that's the Greg Brady work, work ethic. Yeah, well. like I love being asked to go do do radio at the auto show these past two Saturdays, but I want it to be good, not great, so that I'm not asked <laughs> every Saturday by sales to go somewhere and do special programming okay. and work six so days Gord, a week. Remember that, Gord. We're going to be good, not great, Just, on Toronto uh, today. I can't. Don't stretch it because I used to know. I've noticed that at every workplace, the person that says yes to stuff 
keeps getting asked to do stuff. That's true. Yeah. And the people that say no to stuff. Yes. Don't. I know. It's a weird <laughs> I thing. I just, it's in my Don't DNA. be too eager. I can't help it. Okay, um, we're going to do uh, in or out. So we, we ask you if you're in or something, as in you like it, you love it, you need some more of it, I'm sorry. Or you're out, I don't like any of this stuff at all. That's not a country song. Um, electronic books. And we bring this up. I think I think the Roald Dahl controversy made us think about this, Sheba, because we saw last week, there's two, two parts to the story. Last week, it's, oh, in some countries, they're editing the great British author Roald Dahl, who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Ridiculous. Fantastic Mr. Fox, James and the Giant Peach, all these books. People might know them better as movies. Maybe they do. But we read them when we were kids, and they're going to edit um, words that can be deemed offensive to some readers. They're coming for um, Ian Fleming's James Bond books now. And I didn't know this, but um, they are um, they now have changed the electronic versions of these books. They have already. They have. So and you I'm don't so have glad. a choice. I have the entire Roald Dahl set at home. My kids have read all of them or have been read to with them. I'm so happy we have the originals. Greg, would you rather be referred to as fat or enormous? Because that's what they're changing it to. That's an Big example. Boned. That's that's um, one example. They're eliminating the word fat from the Roald Dahl books and said you'll be referred to as enormous. Call me fat any day over enormous. I I I think so. I I think that's that's part of it right there. And the uh, by the way, the Oompa Loompas because I the Chocolate <laughs> Factory is probably the most popular book are now small people instead of small men. Oh, but I didn't see a lot of okay. I didn't see a lot gender of gender. Neutral. And, well, I'm like, why would you want to be an Oompa Loompa? Um, who keeps well, because they dance around all day and they eat candy. Yeah, but and they sing and rhyme. How? Why would you not? But want it to be looks that like guy? a bit of a, a bit of a slave factory there. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of. Well, once you open this door, like what else are you going to change? I guess. Like they're gonna. There's gonna yes. be no reading in the in Ian Fleming's books if you're going to put it through that filter. Uh, also, are you the Oompa Loompas working for Gene Wilder's um, <laughs> Willy Wonka or or Johnny oh, Depp's depends. Willy Wonka? Because yes. he feels a bit weirder. Who did it better? Yeah. Oh, Wilder. Wilder. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree, the original. Um, but but I, I was doing this a fair bit. When I first got an iPad, I put books on there because I'm like, well, that's easier. If I'm going to travel, everything's on your iPad and you got your television shows on your Remember I used to go to the iTunes store and download episodes of TV shows yes. like Lost or, or <laughs> Emergency Room? Oh, you do that with Netflix as well. You do that with Netflix. Yeah, yeah. You download ahead of time because you won't have Wi-Fi. But I, I realized how much I hated. I, it took me about two, three years. Not, it took me too longer than it should have. That I hated reading ebooks. And by the way, if you read them on your phone, you just like like you you look like you're scrolling meaninglessly on your phone, which I do enough as it is. So if I want a book to get away from the phone, because you could be reading a couple things and then your phone pings. Or it rings. It's distracting. Or you're like, I haven't checked Twitter in 10 minutes, so yes. I better check it and something might be. Instead of losing yourself in the book itself, Sheba, and sitting on a couch or outside uh, on your back deck or anything. So I'm out on ebooks. I hate them. Okay, so there are several reasons I agree with you. I am also out on ebooks. I hate it. I love the smell of a book. I love physically turning the pages. I love the way it feels in your hands. But scientifically, there are many studies that have shown, for example, you, you absorb more information from print books than you do from an ebook. Uh, this is a study that was presented in 2014 that has scientists telling you that just the actual sensation of holding the book in your hand helps you to absorb the information better. Um, another reason is they help children become better readers. So it's less distracting for a child. Imagine us, right? You're on your Absolutely. phone, you're trying to do some work, you want to check social media, you want to check your email, you want to check your text messages. For kids, it's the same thing. They learn to read better on an actual print book. 
even physically, they're easier on your eyes. It's, it can be damaging to have that screen in front of you all the time on your eyes because we know we're all addicted to our phones. These are all reasons I'm absolutely out on ebooks. Gordon, ebooks? I'm out. I'm out. I actually. It's unanimous. We rarely have a unanimous in or out. I even you were this is rare. To, even yeah. you were trying to suggest that I wouldn't be able to outrun a bear Friday, like the nerve. Still can't. <laughs> I still can't. <laughs> You're what supposed I, to play dead. What if I just throw marshmallows? He's going to stop and pick up the marshmallows while that, chasing me. That's a good tactic. Okay. And, okay. And, and it did not catch up to you. So let us know. Text us 416 870 6400. Are you in or out? On ebooks, we also have a Twitter poll going as well, so you can you can chime in there as well. Yeah, um, it's it, it reminds me of libraries. I like libraries. I loved going to do research for even high school papers in libraries. So I loved so my university library, and even I don't know how much so work I. I got done. You'd run into somebody there. You would. Mine um, was Robarts, right? You know the beautiful oh, yeah, peacock. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was my university library. It was beautiful. I loved being in there every Sunday. I'm that nerd mom. Every Sunday, I take my kids mm. to the library. We sit there for an hour. They can do whatever they want. I just want them to get used to the beautiful That's feeling fantastic of being mom in a work library. right there. That really is. Do whatever you want. Color, yeah. play, whatever it is. You don't even have to read. I just want them to get used to that. Yeah. Now, do you think people, we, we've talked about how people can't, um, how they're looking for, for partners in life. Can you come up to somebody studying in the library Absolutely. and go Absolutely. Like, I think that would be the sexiest how you do thing. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I don't like disturbing or even, some somebody. No, might you know a, what is a, a bookstore the next day. A bookstore is like a rom com. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. How have they not made a Sandra Bullock movie where she works in a bookstore yet? Yeah. How have they not done that? Yeah. We just watched. Oh God, what did we watch? The the uh, Apple movie um, with uh, Julianne Moore, uh, naturally, and um, uh, oh my gosh, uh, John Lithgow. And the guy works in a bookstore, and he meets uh, a girl. The girl comes into the bookstore looking for something. But I can't tell you much about the plot. But that's also like you, and you went wrong, right <laughs> oh, on wish- Netflix. That that went wrong. That went the, the other way. Yeah, I know. But I wish, I wish, I, I wish I worked in. A, I wish I managed a bookstore. Well, I like you know doing what? this. But- Here's, oh yeah, managing a bookstore would oh, be my a lot God. of for me. A bakery or a bookstore. That's what you're going to see me after this. But here's a great tweet that we got in. It's a I'm sorry, a great text. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Text us ebooks in or out. Maybe better for the environment reading an ebook. There's no paper. It's less trees being cut down. That's good. That's true. It's it's better for the it environment. It is. I know people. People really. Um, Greta Thunberg has a book out, and people took her to, took her to the wall because, like Greta, you you're sending out hardcover <laughs> books everywhere. How many trees has Greta Thunberg killed to sell books? Brutal. To tell people to take better care of trees. And the environment and whatnot. The movie, um, just really quick, the movie's called uh, Sharper. It's on Apple with uh, Julianne Moore and um, Sebastian Stan, who's the Winter Soldier in the Marvel movies. He's great in this movie. He's fantastic. So go see Sharper, the guy, um, one of the protagonists owns a bookstore. Sheba, if I mentioned Judy Bloom books, would you know what those are? Uh, I grew up with them. My <laughs> daughter is hooked on them. She, You're younger you know, than me, so you know I don't what? know. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they, they, the they still holidays. hold up now. Oh, they over the Christmas. She's addicted to them. She's nine years old. She's read every single one. And then she came to me in December. This has melted my heart. She had written a letter to Judy Bloom, and she said, Mommy, do you think that we could send it to her? And she'd written her a, a letter a handwritten letter telling her how much she loves her books. I looked it up. It's some New York publishing office. I said, absolutely. We sent it off. I can't believe like then again, maybe I won't was written. The, and that's about a male uh, hitting puberty. And I read that while I was hitting puberty a few but years ago. But that's what her books are focused ago. on, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ta- um, but was it strange for me to read? Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. I don't know. I read it. The, um, yeah, of course. That's all. I didn't these- read it with my mom. 
She didn't read it to me. I, that would have been. <laughs> I think I should. I'm glad I read that on my own. That's more a middle super that, fudge. Fudge. Uh, do you remember fudge? Absolutely, read super fudge. Words. I'm glad. I was glad I didn't have a little brother when I read. You uh, know, super they better fudge. not come out and try to change any language. That's in what I brought Judy that Bloom. up. I'm worried yes. about that. No wait. Judy Bloom is the queen. You cannot change a single word. She's there. still uh, kicking it. She's 85 years old. Yeah. Who, do you th- who do you think? Who do you think we could was more likely to come on? Judy Bloom or Margaret Atwood? <laughs> Nobody can get Margaret Atwood on the radio show. So maybe we can get Judy Bloom. Let's American try. Equivalent. I'll get my daughter to write her another letter and ask.